Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. And welcome everybody to Masterclass Theology. Uh, um, it's great to be able to teach you guys tonight. And uh, let's open up in a quick word of prayer. Almighty God and Father, um, when, when I think about what Jesus has done for us, everything about who Jesus is and, and what he has accomplished on our behalf, I can't help but praise you. Um, I thank you because not only have you given us Jesus, but you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us your word. And I thank you for the, this precious gift of time that we have to, to spend together here as, as, we, um, as we talk about your matters. I pray that we can come out of this blessed knowing you better, closer to you, and just more strong in the faith. Um, I pray that that we can be that iron that sharpens iron. And, and I pray this humbly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Well, again, welcome everybody uh, to the first ever highlights reel of Masterclass Theology. First and probably only, who knows. Um, for starters, uh, just a really quick thing as far as uh, this is more of a logistic and stylistic thing on my part. I will take questions. You guys can put questions on, on the board. Uh, since I'm doing the Zoom meeting from my phone, I'm very handicapped. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm very uh, technically challenged, so uh, I apologize for that. And uh, so I, what I would do is we'll take the questions afterwards, and uh, I'm just going to kind of go through the lecture first, as, as it were. And um, with that, I'm going to just kind of jump right in. Um, for starters, this is an overview, so it's by no means an exhaustive uh, discussion on the book of Hebrews. Think of it sort of as a reader's digest to the to the past 13 weeks that we've had in the book of Hebrews. Um, this will reflect some of my personal takeaways, both from the class and from the personal devotion. Um, my goal is to be kind of a complementary or uh, supplemental to, to what Joel has taught. So why is Hebrews a big deal to me? Um, Hebrews is big to me for uh, a couple of reasons. And uh, three in particular that, that I want to focus in on tonight. Uh, number one, it shows me how Jesus, not Muhammad Ali, how Jesus is truly the greatest of all time. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood. He is the supreme superior sacrifice, and he brings a superior covenant with him because he is superior in every way, and this is why Jesus can say what he says in John 14, 6, that he is the only way to the Father. Uh, number two, because Jesus is superior in every way, this is why he can tell us then to hang in there, to persevere, um, and that it's, that it's worth it. Uh, besides Jesus' example, in, in chapter 11, we're going to have a legion of witnesses throughout history that testify that God makes it worthwhile. Uh, and, and it's true. And, and to be honest, this is true even inside the pages of the Bible. And this is true outside of the pages of the Bible as well. Some of your testimonies can can be a witness to this as well. Uh, and number three, the book of Hebrews incentivizes us to take inventory of our walk. Um, it gives us examples from history. It gives us stern warnings. Um, and, and this is especially true with, with the persons that, that Joel introduced throughout this course, especially the, the weary and the yap butts um, regarding Jesus as the greatest of all time. First and foremost, uh, he is God. 
This, this is something that Hebrews right off back establishes in verses uh, chapter one, verses two and three. Um, not, not only is he God incarnate, um, but he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And, and we see this also in, in the opening verses of John's gospel, as well as in Colossians 1, I believe it's verse 16 onward, where it talks about Jesus being the creator and sustainer of everything that is. Uh, in verse 4, it tells us that he is superior to the angels. And, and not only is he superior to the angels, Jesus is superior to Moses. That means that, that he is superior to the Torah. That means that, that he's superior to everything in it. In other words, Jesus... The heart and soul of the Christian message, the gospel, uh, Christianity is superior to Judaism. Without Jesus, Judaism is incomplete. Judaism, he, he is the Messiah of Judaism. Um, Messiah is just another word for Christ. Jesus is, is the Christ. Uh, Jesus is the point of Judaism. Everything is about Jesus. And we saw that in Luke chapter 22, verse 44 onward where he tells his disciples that everything in the old testament points to him uh in chapter 3 verse 3 uh it says that jesus is greater than moses and and where moses was god's servant jesus is god's son um and unlike aaron and and the other high priests that followed jesus is a priest of a different order of, of, of a higher order um he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is an interesting figure because, as, as we've seen, um, he is a guy whose origins are not spelled out in the Bible, nor do we have the end of his, his story. So he kind of becomes the symbol for what Jesus is. Not only that, but on top of being a priest, he also happens to be a king, something that Aaron clearly was not. Um, Hebrew goes on to present Jesus as superior to Abraham, the, the very kind of you know, when it comes to Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, we all point to Abraham. And Jesus, according to Hebrews 7, 4, is superior even to Abraham. Um, so, again, he's, he's, he's superior to everything in Judaism. He's superior to the sacrifice, his blood versus that of the animals, the tabernacle, and, and everything. Jesus is superior. Uh, in 7.22, it goes on to say that this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So at best, all the Old Testament could ever do at best was promise us salvation. Uh, at best, all it could do is show us what righteousness and holiness looks like. But by the same token, it also serves as a mirror to show us how, how filthy we are and how incapable we are uh, of saving ourselves. Now, because I have confidence in Jesus, the greatest of all time, he gives us the motivation to hang in there, to persevere. Um, the Bible teaches us that we can have a better life, a fulfilled one, but there's a thing there. Better and fulfilled does not mean that it's going to be an easier life either. When it comes to hanging in there, Jesus is the standard. Um, for he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that's from Hebrews 2, 18. Um, he went through what we went through. Uh, he was tempted. He, he suffered, he was persecuted, um, he wanted to throw the towel in, but ultimately the big difference between him and us is he never caved, he never sinned, and he followed through God's will even to dying on the cross. And remember, he tried. We, we, just, we just went through uh, Good Friday and Easter, and we saw 
um, if we did devotionals regarding that, that Jesus actually prayed, God, there's another way. Not my will, but your will be done. So in Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16, it tells us that because Jesus persevered, he now serves as our VIP access pass to the Father. Um, not only are we encouraged to approach God, that's something that in the Old Testament just really never happened. Only the high priest was able to do that. Now we can approach God and we are told to do so with confidence. Uh, we are reminded of two very important truths about God. One, he never changes. And two, he never lies. Stability, consistency, and truth. That's God. Uh, Hebrews 6.19 tells us, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I love that picture. I love the picture of Jesus as our anchor. I mean, just to think about that. And when you think about life just kind of pounding on you, waves hitting on you from every side, we have this anchor that keeps us from, from being dragged all over the place, okay? That keeps us from being shipwrecked. And, and so I, I really love that image. Um, in 1019, thanks to Jesus, we are again encouraged to enter God's presence with confidence. Um, we, can, we can draw near to God, 1022. And in the middle of challenges and persecutions, we are to hold on to that confidence and, and know that we will be rewarded for persevering. It says, in just a little while, Jesus will come. In chapter 11, we came upon the honor roll of faith or the Hall of Fame of, of, of faith. And, and I'm not going to really go into it very much because, again, we, 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 we went through it in, in, in the course of our class. But I do want to just kind of zero in on three of the names on that list. Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Okay, all these guys from the book of Judges. And if you guys remember our series on Judges, we'll know that these guys are hardly paragons of faith. Yet in God's economy, these guys made the list. If nothing else, we should find encouragement in the fact that these guys made it. Um, 12, uh, 1 through 3 encourages us to hang in there by focusing on Jesus. Jesus what? Jesus the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. As he encourages us to persevere, Jesus leads us by example. Um, 12, 4 through 6, we are reminded that we haven't been persecuted to the point of losing our lives. We, we haven't been persecuted to the point of, of bloodshed. Oftentimes when I talk to people, I, and then I say that today, we Christians in America, what we face isn't really persecution, at least not yet. What we face at this present time with the culture is really more oppression. Oh, it could lead to persecution, but we're not there yet, okay? None of us can, can honestly say that, that we have, we have, we've been threatened to the point of death. You know, I mean, we're facing hardship and I mean, um, we're facing hardship economically because it's, it's getting harder and harder for us. I mean, given time, who knows? They'll, they'll probably pull a, the church's uh, tax exempt status. They'll probably not allow us to give for tax deductions to our church. Not that we do it for that reason, but I'm just saying that is how increasingly hostile the culture is getting towards Christians. That's how they're, they're oppressing us. And it's it, and it is getting harder to be a Christian in in many regards, when the culture is constantly turning on you. And it, so we have this, this reminder that, that Jesus did it, okay? And that, and again, we, we have not gotten to that point of bloodshed yet. So God disciplines us because he loves us and because we are his. 
We're his beloved children. And finally, Hebrews incentivizes us to take inventory of our Christian walk. And it does so with, with very strong language and imagery. In 2.1, we are told to pay close attention to, to how we live. Um, do we balk when, when the going gets tough? We're still, are we all too easily enticed by sin? Um, the warnings of apostasy, that is falling away uh, from the faith, are really a serious call to, to, to real serious self-examination. There's a real danger here. Of, of a real loss of something of, of real value. And I'm saying that on purpose through the real because there's something very real going on here. In 316 through 19, we're reminded of how the Israelites during their wilderness wanderings after they left Egypt, how they rebelled against God and they failed to persevere and they didn't make it into the promised land. Think about that. They got out of Egypt, but they never made it into the promised land. There's a warning there for us. Um, 4.1 tells us to be careful not to fall short of entering God's Sabbath rest. Uh, verse 2 makes it clear that the evidence of faith is obedience. Are we growing in our faith? Are we sure that our faith is even real and that it's not just simply head knowledge? The language in, in Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 is so strong that it almost seems to suggest that salvation itself can be lost. Nevertheless, the point of this is to warn us against apostasy to challenge immaturity, complacency, and, and, not, and, and also for not bearing fruit as the surrounding context seems to suggest. Um, spiritual maturity, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. This is why it's, it's, uh, personal spiritual inventories are so important. Chapter 10 tells us to challenge each other in love, verse 24, and to stay connected with our church family. I don't know how it is that some people um, can say that they're Christians when they're not part of a church family and they, they feel that they don't have to be a part of a church family. I really have to question if they truly are Christian or not. Um, it flies against the face of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, not to doubt our faith, but we should always do inventory. Um, so beyond the supremacy of Jesus, the encouragement to hang in there, and the importance of, of taking personal inventory. We're given um, areas of obedience, such as being peacekeepers, keeping the sanctity of marriage and other purity issues, being hospitable and respecting leaders, to name a few. Um, this reminds me of the list from Romans chapters 12 onward. It's very similar to that list. Um, towards the end, we get this amazing doxology in 13, uh, Verses 20 to 21, it goes like this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And believe it or not, that is the highlight reel. I'm not going to make this longer than we need to, to what we've been doing here in, in Hebrews. Uh, these are the things that have impressed me. And I know it was a very cursory overview of the book, but this is what the book has, has said to me. And, uh, and I'm sure that you guys also have um, things that, that Hebrews uh, kind of spoke to you guys about. And, um, 
and we'll talk about that right now. So, um, yeah, that's that is it from my end. And with that, I'd like to kind of open it up now to that time of questions and comments, so you guys can unmute yourselves as you guys uh, have questions or comments that you guys would like to share. The floor is open, guys. Mick, what, what would you say? Uh, I've sometimes described the book of Hebrews as if you were stuck on a deserted island with one book of the Bible, and I, li I like Hebrews at that point, what would you say is like overall quality of the book that makes it in that category? Where it, it in terms of like what it covers and just, well, why, why would Hebrews be one of those books? If you could only have one, it would be a good one. Hebrews would be that book, I think, because Hebrews tells us in a very important way that because of Jesus and everything that who he is and what he's done, we have this unlimited access to God that we can, it says, depending on the translation, boldly come to, to his throne of grace, that we can approach God. Because that's the big thing that isn't happening pre-Jesus. Sure, we had the high priest who did it, but again, even then he needed to sacrifice for himself yearly so that he can even approach that. And it's, it's still not the same thing. It was a, it was a credit card placeholder at best, you know? Um, and now with, with Jesus as, as that high priest and he's superior to every other, every other solution of salvation from any other worldview. That's the, the key thing with Jesus. The, the only real competition that Christianity has is Judaism. And Jesus blows that out of the water. I know, Mick, you had said that you were giving just your highlight reel was just, I think he used the words, um, a cursory overview, but I, I, I have to disagree with that. I think you hit so many, you reminded me of so many of the best parts of what Joel's been teaching. And um, I think what I like about the book, it, just how it emphasizes, I mean, it leaves no doubt whether he's speaking to Jews or Gentiles, that he's going back to, you know, the Old Testament times and saying, well, Jesus trumps the angels, he trumps Moses, he trumps all these other, you know, methods you have, he trumps your high priest, and he doesn't have to do it over and over again. It's one and done. And yeah. it's, it's, it's eternal. It's not this temporal thing. It's not this you know, it's not works-based. And so he would have negated all the arguments of people of the Jewish faith, but also convinced, you know, people who aren't of Jewish faith and just saying, yeah. you know, we, we, I know you believed this, but this is why Jesus is offering something new and better. Yeah, not for sure. And I think another cool thing about Hebrews too is, is just, again, it, it, you know, I'm thinking of it along the lines of a video game where you have like a, Jesus versus uh, the angels, Jesus versus uh, Moses, Jesus versus, I mean, he beats all of them because 
because he's able to do that. And, and not only that, but it's like Hebrews gives like this amazing Christology, you know, where it talks about Jesus as fully man and, and fully God in kind of because of the length of the book more than, than most of the Pauline epistles per se. You know, you got, you have that in Colossians is the one that stands out in my mind, but Hebrews, it's like, it's all the way through where you're getting this thing that because Jesus beat all these guys, you know, you have a, a kind of a, like you, Jesus is really like front and center in the book of Hebrews. He's, he's, he's front and center in all scripture, but there's something about the way he stands out in Hebrews that I think is really amazing. Any other questions or comments about anything? Um, you know, uh, I was talking to Joe uh, or chatting with Joe earlier in the week, and I kind of was um, really more like, uh, man, Joe, I, I'm not sure. Should I go with the highlight reels or should I, should I kind of focus on the uh, the uh, the passages of uh, Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, where, where it seems like you lose your salvation in there? You know, it uses very strong language and and, you know, we have to be fair to the text and, and what it's saying. Um, I come from, um, just kind of, kind of give you guys a little brief explanation. As a child, even though my parents really weren't practicing any real religion, my mom's tradition was Catholic. Interestingly enough, raising us in Chicago, she wanted my brothers and, and, and me to be good kids. Uh, worked a little bit with me, not so much with my brothers. Anyways, I digress. Um, so one of the things that they they that she did was she had me going to Queen of Angels in the city. So I, I, I got as far as uh, my first communion. And after that point, they decided, ah, you know what, it costs too much. We're not gonna... But the thing was that, you know, God had used uh, Catholicism to instill values in me and, and teach me the, the elementary stories of, of the Bible. So I knew who Jesus was. I knew Jesus was God. I knew about the Holy Spirit. I thank God that I was never even though I had to learn the Hail Mary and the Rosary, for some odd reason, that never really stuck with me, even as a kid. But the Our Father did, which I thank the Holy Spirit for that, because that's that's what I really needed. And so, you know, the thing, and you talk with most Catholics, they'll tell you the same thing. They don't know if they're saved. So for some reason, um, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, drove to where we were on a Saturday inviting people to church, um, which kind of has a creepy vibe to it, but that's not the point. This, this was back in the 80s, so it wasn't as creepy as it is now. So they invited us, and it was church. At that time, my mom had sisters who were in town, and I don't know if they kind of liked the guy that was doing the inviting or whatever, but they decided to go, and they took my brothers and me with, with them. So we went to Hammond, Indiana, to, 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 uh, to Sunday school, and there, I'm hearing this teacher, and, and I regret to this day, it haunts me that I can't remember his name. I remember the bus captain's name, Brother Joe, and I'm grateful to God for putting him in my life, but I can't remember the actual teacher who led me to Christ. But the thing that he was telling me is you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And that intrigued me. Okay, so I can know, he explained, and I understood it as a kid. Maybe I didn't understand everything about everything, but I understood enough this is something that God is giving me. He's, he made it clear that it was a gift. He made it clear that all I had to do was to believe in, in Jesus and that I would be a child of God that day on. And I believed it. And it made it, and it, it had an impact on my life. And then I had a Christian journey. Now, at some point later, my mom became a Christian. So I didn't continue 
growing up in the Baptist tradition, because it was a Baptist church. So I'll, like in most Hispanic churches uh, in the city, they tend to be more of a, wasn't a Pentecostal church, but they tend to be a little bit more Pentecostally flavored. Uh, I was going to an evangelical Christian church in the city. Now, in the churches I grew up, um, we were told that salvation is a free gift from God, that there's nothing we can do to earn it, but that we had a responsibility once entrusted with this gift to take care of it. So it was the idea that you could lose your salvation. And this was perhaps the, the, the leading passage as to why one could lose their salvation. And for the longest time, you know, um, I and, and many good Christians, because my, my buddies uh, had a, a different junior who, who I grew up with, Matt Ziegler, um, Junior Muniz, and, and George, my buddy, and they were my mentors and they were my friends and they were, you know, we were very much into that. In fact, every time we'd go into Moody, we were, we were the ones that were kind of like the, uh, the ones arguing against the Calvinist view, you know. But the thing was that as I look at scripture as a whole, I, and, 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 and as, um, as I feel that God is leading, I, I don't believe it makes sense to think that salvation can be lost. Because salvation can't be earned. It is a gift from God. And along the ways, and I remember uh, Ruth brought this up some time ago when we were talking about favorite passages of scripture. And we have uh, Romans chapter 8 played big in, in kind of bringing my thought processes clear. First of all, it starts off that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Towards the end of the chapter, it, it gets into nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the more I meditated on that, it didn't make me cocky, like, okay, this was at a time then where I had turned my back on God. It didn't make me think, like, okay, well, I can continue this way then because, you know, my salvation is secure. It's funny. It actually worked the reverse in me. It actually made me really realize, man, God loves me too much. Why am I, why am I being, you know, difficult? And it got me to, to actually come back in, in, in gratitude to God because I knew my salvation was secure. It didn't make me cocky. It did the exact opposite. It actually made me humble, contemplative, and, and more reflective of something that I, that I was jeopardizing. Okay? And, and I've come to believe that in the teaching of the whole, and that's the thing with Hebrews, I can understand that by itself, it can seem to say that because there is a loss of something there. But I don't believe that that loss is referring to salvation. I believe it is a loss of blessings. I believe it, it is a loss to people and not everybody who was in Hebrews, again, going back to the, uh, the people that, that were, were being addressed in the book of Hebrews, not everybody is a, is a full-on Christian. I believe there are people there who are testing the waters of Christianity, who, who are charmed by Christianity, but at the same time, they're feeling pressures. Because, again, think about it. You're, you're a first-century Jew during this time. Okay, you, you, you got the Romans who are, who are constantly breathing down your neck. And then all of a sudden you're, you're starting to identify with this Jesus character, a follower of the way, as they were referred to back then. And then you have the, the other the, the people who are empowered Jews who, who basically were responsible for killing Jesus. And they're not very hip on it. So what do they start doing? Yeah, they start putting their uh, sanctions on you. Oh, don't do business with him. He's one of those. You know, you start, they start putting pressure on you. Or you can't come here. 
This is for real Jews, not for you heretics. You're, you're, you're starting to feel this pressure. So on the one hand, you're, you're kind of like, you want to follow Jesus, but you're not fully convinced. And that's the other thing, too. It talks about them being immature, that they, they're still on milk and they should be teachers. So they got enough to, to respond to Jesus and they haven't responded. Um, and this is in, in Hebrews uh, chapter six, where, you know, if you, but when you look at verse nine, it talks about that. But you guys aren't those guys. You guys aren't those guys. And these are people that basically, I think they're experiencing the faith in the sense that they're around the Christian community but, and have seen things. You know, we've had people like that in our lives where they come to church and they see and experience and witness things. And you'd almost sometimes even think some of them are Christian. And then later you find out, oh, he's not a Christian. Oh, she's not a Christian. You know, um, my wife has been does uh, running with World Vision. And um, she was sharing with me um, that, you know, in their generally, the thing is that when they go running in Bussy Woods on Saturday morning, um, our World Vision team is kind of a, a, a combination of basically the bridge groups. And you, as you guys know, we have several campuses um, and, and also Willow Creek Church teams up with us and so she thought there was one person there that was running with the team she thought oh she's probably from from Randall. she didn't think anything of it talked to them very nice talk um and then she asked her one time oh are you from Randers? oh no okay so then my wife didn't think to ask beyond that she wasn't from willow creek either she found out later turns out that the girl this young girl that was running with my wife was a muslim she was muslim but she loves hanging out with our Christian running team. But my wife, again, for the for life of her, she, if, it, if somehow it didn't come up in a conversation, she would not know that she was not, not a Christian, that she was a Muslim instead. Um, it, it kind of is a testimony point. Um, my wife has invited her finally to the bridge and she seems responsive to the gospel. So if you guys want to pray for this young lady, um, it's interesting, her husband is Roman Catholic, yet he is not a practicing Roman Catholic, and she herself is a Muslim, but is not a practicing Muslim, so, but she's very receptive to the Christian faith, except that from her husband, he wants her to follow it through the Catholic tradition, which he isn't following, so if we can pray for this young couple, I think that would be really cool, but it's just kind of one of those things, kind of going back to what we're dealing with, even. so there's people who they tag along so they see some of the things that of what we're about can even look like us and pass for us but are probably wanting to but not there and the problem with the ones i in, in, in chapter six i believe it's, it's the pressures getting to them uh in chapter 10 you know it, it uses again similar language but i i think there it's also addressing people who are more enticed by some who really aren't as serious about it Kind of checked it out and they're really not interested they found it to be worse than judaism more burdensome than judaism because to um, to a person who doesn't believe think about it in judaism the idea is don't kill anyone don't 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 go sleeping around you're good in christianity you can't even lust them you can't even hate them man jesus really and people think christianity is easy <laughs> but there you go people Anyways, the thing is that, so you have these passages about, and, and they use really strong language, but again, there is something that is lost. And again, for the person who is not saved, it is the loss of salvation. For the person who's saved, I believe, is the loss of blessing. And again, the thing with Hebrews is, 
kind of going a little bit to, to Joel's, if it was the only book on, on the island, you know, thank God it's not the only book in, on the island, because this is where the other scripture, again, since scripture, since scripture all functions together, and again, it's hard to leave Hebrews out, man. You have such a beautiful Christology there. I mean, everything is spot on. And even chapters 6 and 10 are spot on. They're just difficult to, to understand. But like anything, if you work, is there a, a point of reconciliation? Think of it along the lines of the gospel, the supposed contradictions. Those contradictions are really not contradictions if they can be re reconciled in a, in a truthful way. In fact, um, who was, I think it was, um, I didn't hear this version, but my wife was sharing me a uh, James version of the uh, sermon was that uh, if all the accounts were identical, you would have more to be suspect of than the fact that there seems to be a difference of perspective. Um, in a class I took um, last summer, one of the things that we talk about is the gospels, what they are, they're not straight up biographies. They are portraits of Jesus. They, yes, they're biased, they have an agenda, nothing wrong with that. Everything is, has a bias and an agenda if it's honest. Um, but the real question is, is it true? And the gospels have helped. And I believe the same thing with, with Hebrews. Everything in Hebrews is true. Those chapters are difficult. But then when you look at the rest of it, it's telling you to persevere, to hang in there, that it's worth it. I mean, chapter 11 alone is worth the price of admission, isn't it? I mean, think about it. If, if Samson's in there, we're a shoe in. I mean, I don't know if, if, if nothing assures you more about your, your faith and salvation. That ought to do the trick. But, you know, on a more serious level, it's just the encouragement that of the things that they went through and the fact that they didn't even have the earthly. For instance, Abraham never saw the nation of Israel. And yet today, thousands of years later, I mean, not just the 2000s, but, you know, 2000 more of you could throw in there the Old Testament. You know, we have a nation of Israel that exists. We have a Jewish people that exists. I mean, to me, the biggest evidences for the Judeo-Christian God are the resurrection of Jesus. The, the best arguments for Judeo-Christian God that is are the resurrection of Jesus being a, a historically verifiable fact. And the nation of Israel still in existence. There's no people group once pulled out of their land been who have been diaspora that many times who retain a semblance of their identity. And yet we still have Israelites today, so much so that we were able to have a nation of Israel today. So, you know, I've rambled on. Anybody else have any questions or comments about anything? Not that it's the, the pressing question of the evening, but who do, who do you think wrote Hebrews? Uh, I, that's the one that Joel and I keep going back and forth. Joel has uh, suggested Apollos, but even then, with no real degree of certainty, yeah. other than the fact of Apollos's reputation of being a very polished uh, Greek guy. Um, other guys' names that get thrown around are, are, are Luke, but um, I don't know. At some point, believe it or not, even, even Priscilla was thrown in there, except there is, um, there is evidence that the person who wrote it was, was masculine. Um, what we do know is that they were probably part of Paul's uh, posse because they know Timothy. So it's kind of hard to know Timothy and not know Paul. So um, I mean, other than that, we really don't know who wrote it. That is the mystery for the ages. Great question.
Well, I was Yo. I was just thinking that somewhere they had said um like the author was referring to Timothy as a brother and doesn't Paul often refer to him as his son? And yeah. So that's tiny, but still and and at least the original recipients would have known who this person was, so maybe it it doesn't really matter that we don't know. Yeah. And also earlier on in the book, um, one of the things is that the author identifies that he received his gospel from all the other apostles. And one of the things that Paul often says about himself is that he received it directly from God. Okay. So that would kind of just take away from Paul being the author of that. And not only that, Paul, um, it was clear um, that Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. Um, and that, that was the thing that I remember when he, when he had the, the conversation with 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 uh, James and, and Peter and them that they basically gave him the blessings. He says, go and, and do what you're doing with the Gentiles. You're doing a great job. Just don't forget to take offering, you know, to help the church out in Jerusalem because, you know, we can use help. But yeah. One of the things that stands out to me um, is, you know, make you did a great job of, of canvassing the book and and I really appreciate uh, how you you set apart, you know, Jesus as different, and he is he's unique and he's superior. And to add to that, uh, if I could if I could take away one thing from Hebrews, I think you'd have to go to Hebrews ten, is because Hebrews ten offers something that is unique. In at least from my understanding, I, I haven't thought too much about this. I probably should think more, but um, it's in verse 12. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down. I mean, that's the original Hebrews mic drop. It's like he sat down. I mean, there it is. It's like, this is the once for all. And it's like, we yeah. need that. If we don't get the once for all, then let's just say it this way, the way I've been teaching it, the yeah, but might have a point. Mm -hmm. If you can keep putting Jesus back on the cross, then it's not once for all. If, if you have an excuse that leads you to think, well, man, maybe God doesn't care about me or whatever, whatever the yeah, but's excuses are, it's like if it's once for all, and then he sits down, he's sitting down. He's not getting up and running a 5K. I mean, he, he's done. It's yeah. like it is finished once for all. And then I like how it continues. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So not only is he done, he's just waiting for the mop up to be, it's like for the whatever's fully and finally going to be done, Armageddon, whatever that is. It's like he's waiting to kick up his feet and rest them on Satan. It's like yeah. he's, just, he's just waiting. To, he's just chilling. I mean, it's like he's at work, but it's like there's an element there of Jesus is not only unique, but he's sufficient. And yeah. that, especially in biblical counseling, is like that's huge. It's like the word of God is unique, but it's also sufficient. You don't need anything. Yeah. Else. It's like that right there. And then it goes right to us. So for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's us. Yeah. We're in that process. It's like, if I just had that right there, 
that those three verses on that deserted island right there, I'm good. Because yeah. that gives me something I don't think I've had before. And it's like, if I just have that, I think, I think I'm good at that point. I mean, that right there is, is Hebrews unique. Yeah, it, no, that's sure. just huge. I mean, that for me is just like, okay, if I can only take, you know, a few pieces of, 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 of if I can take a little scrap of paper from Hebrews, that's all I get, it's Hebrews 10. It's yeah. like, right there, that little part, once for all, now I can trust him. He's got this, boom. Yeah, that I, I don't know what you think, Mick, but that, that, that meant a lot no, to I me. Mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> it's not the one I would have chosen, but I'm not going to argue with it. Um, I, I, I still kind of go with the, uh, Jesus is our priest that, that gives us that access to God. Um, I think it's in, in 4, uh, 16 through 20 there, or 14 through 16, where, you know, we have this access to God. We have a, a priest who identifies with us, you know, because he went through what we went through. He identifies with us, and, he, and, and, and because of him, we can actually approach God. Um, I got the song, My Sweet Lord, without the Harry Krishna part going in my head, you know. I really want to see you. I really want to be with you, Lord. You know, and, and that's kind of the thing for me. I really want to see. I want to see Jesus. I, I really want to see Jesus. I mean, I, I I keep looking forward to the day that we're going to actually be with Jesus. I mean, really, it, it is about Jesus. I want to see the guy who made it all possible. I want to see the reason, the person who, who created person who gave who gives us purpose the person who who loved me so much because i i in my 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 way of thinking is there's no way i would do that for other people you know i get slighted and i get angry instinctively without even trying it just happens you know to know that that someone so perfect can love someone as flawed as me and do what he did for me he lived the life i couldn't live that that gets me that gets me every time. <laughs> so, okay, gentlemen, we've got the one-two punch then. Go, Ruth. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, is, Jesus is our access to God. And what he did for us, it's done. Yep. And so whenever, whenever I have doubt, whenever I wonder, when I put those two together, it's a lock. Yeah. Amen. That is powerful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking that that was so well, well said. And I was thinking kind of coupling what you said and what Joel said, just um, when I get into my little acts of self-flagellation and I'm, I'm doubting those things. And then I remember that whole, that powerful image of Jesus sitting down. And I have to remember that when he was on the cross, every single sin of mine was in the future. And if he was dying for all my sins, he knew the ones that I haven't committed yet. And he still said, no, I can't bear the thought of you being separated from God. And I will take that upon myself. So you don't have to be separate from God. I'll be separate from God while I'm dying on the cross, just so you can be back in relationship with him. And Daniel said it much better than I. And um, I don't know if people have been checking the chats, but Daniel, forgive me if I'm quoting you, but I know you put it in the public chat. So I just thought these were beautiful thoughts that he was going back to what Mick was saying, how he wanted us to be in relationship with God. And he was saying, God is absolutely good. 
There is no sin within him and sin cannot exist in his presence. That is why Jesus had to die to cleanse us of our sins that we might be able to enter into the presence of God, our heavenly father. And then he said, back with the Ark of the Covenant, you really had to be careful. You couldn't even touch it without dying. The Israelites made that mistake when it began to fall from the ox-driven cart and they reached out to catch it and immediately died. Thankfully, Jesus intercedes on our behalf, meaning that we are able to stand in the presence of God without fear of that kind of insta-death. Um, and just that whole thought that there doesn't have to be a middleman anymore, that because he's our priest, it's like we don't have to go to someone to get to God. It's like Jesus created that direct access. Yeah. Those, kudos to Daniel, because those are great thoughts. Yeah. Oh, it's good stuff. Anybody else have any questions or comments? Guys, this is all really good stuff that we're having here. This, again, this, I, this, I really worked on making sure that we had a good talk time at the end of this class. So, um, yeah. any other questions or comments about anything? Yeah, I mean, so Hebrews is just really that book. I mean, and, and not knowing the author doesn't really take anything away. If anything, it adds kind of to its, uh, its cool mystique, I guess, you know, um, the fact that the early church pretty much kept it because they realized that this, this is good stuff. Now, sure, the Eastern church grabbed it right away and the Western church took a little while before it caught on, you know, but, you know, the fact is they realized this, this is too much theological gold to let go of, you know, um, I mean, the definition of faith, you know, being sure of what you hope for, certain of what we do not see, you know. Uh, do, you know, let us consider how to spur one another onto love and good works. You know, um, do not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing all the more is that they approach. I mean, it could go on and on, you know, the anchor for our soul. I mean, I love that picture right there. You know, I think about, you know, what, what, what we're going through as a church nowadays, what those first century Christian Jews and those who were interested in, in Christianity were facing. And to know that there is there is a rock, there's an anchor that that is steady there, holding them in place. That means that they don't get thrown around and, sh and shipwrecked. I mean that 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 is that is great stuff. That is just really great stuff. A lot of the images in there. I mean everything. Um, Jesus is this this perfect priest king, you know. Uh, the fact that even Abraham tithe to to Melchizedek, you know, kind of. You, the person who's inferior ties to the person who's superior. And Jesus is from this priestly order, you know? I mean, it's just kind of like boom, boom, boom. Again, greatest of all time. Not Muhammad Ali, Jesus. Jesus. Awesome. Yeah, the, right, that, anchor, that, the anchor for the soul image is huge because it just pictures us on a ship. Yeah. There's that Garth Brooks song. Like there's a ship on the waters at the mercy of the sea being tossed about, lost and broken, wandering aimlessly. And somehow, God, I know that ship is me. It's like, there it is. It's like the culture is just taking us hither and yon. Politics, whatever it is, just smacking us around. And our little boat's being doing this and doing that. And we would be just, like you said, lost us. We would just be out there at that anchor and that's just, that's not even our soul at that point, but it's, it's it, that image now, it's an anchor for our very soul. It's yeah. Like, that is, I mean, that is another huge image, but uh, Mick, great job. Uh, we'll just kind of wrap this up. Next week, we start 
um, the book of the Bible that uh, I now uh, present as the greatest love story. And um, it's the book of Ruth is a great love story. Uh, it, it's great, but it's hard. It's hard to throw yourself in the book of Ruth. You can find someone that's like you, but most likely you're probably Naomi, if you're really honest, because it's really hard not to be Naomi. Um, a few of us are Ruth or Boaz, but in Hosea, um, there's going to be times in our life where we're, we're going to be Hosea, and there's going to be a vast majority of our life where we're going to be Gomer. And so that book of the Bible is the greatest love story because it's a love of God for us. And I just, I can't wait. This is, it's, it's been something that's been on my mind for a while, but this is a book of the Bible that we need. And we need to be reminded that, and it, it flows really nicely from Hebrews because it reminds us that God even loves the yabuts and God loves the weary and God's reaching. It's like God, it's like Gomer would be like a yabut all day long. It, it was just like, Oh my goodness. So, uh, but yeah, I think that this book's really going to be great. And so we're going to be in Hosea next week and I don't know how long it's going to take. We'll do, we'll do what we can with it. Um, but that's where we're going next. So nice job tonight, Mick. Yeah, thanks, Joel. And thank you, Mick. You did a great job. Thanks. And with, thanks you, so much. and with you, Joe, rocking the boat, it, you know, the anchor reminds me of Ray Boat's song, um, The Anchor Holds. All right. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Joe, since uh, I have you on, how about closing us off in a word of prayer then? God, I thank you for this journey that we've been on in the book of Hebrews and I thank you, God, that we could see this book of the Bible through three characters and uh, the Yabut, the weary and the clay. And I know from my own life, uh, too many, too long have I been the Yabut. And for many years, I was the weary. And this season of my life, I'm very thankful that God's working on me and, I, and that I'm, I'm embracing it, the clay. And, and, and I'm, I'm very glad, Lord, that as we got to study this book, that those three characters we're able to speak out to us are able to be examples for us as how we study your word and how we trust you and, and the kind of decisions that we make. We're so very thankful for the book of Hebrews and for what it has um, to, to give to us, to equip us for uh, living this life. And th that's what theology does. It's not just something to tickle our brains, but it helps us understand you, God, and it helps us to understand how we relate to you and how you relate to us. And and I'm just so very thankful for this group, Lord, and these men and women who have journeyed with us during this time and continue to do so. I thank you for Mick tonight and the wisdom he brought and the discussion he led. And we just pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.